Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. chapters 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about what the King James says, spirituals or spiritual things. And Corinth was a city that was full of people that were given over to carnality, fleshly people. And as a result, the fledgling church there at Corinth was made up of converts that came out of the city of Corinth and they brought a lot of carnality into the church. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul rebuked them for it in the third chapter of his letter, 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Anytime that there is envying, jealousy, strife, divisions, things of that nature, you are carnal. You're walking in the flesh. But yet as carnal as they were, he had commended them earlier for their spirituality. In 1 Corinthians 1, 7, he said that you are not consciously failing or falling behind or lacking in any special spiritual endowment or Christian grace, the reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating in your souls by the Holy Spirit. This is in the Amplified. And while you wait and watch constantly living in hope for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and his being made visible to all, now, I like what the King James says. It says that they came behind in no good gift. As carnal as they were, as fleshly as they were, Corinth was operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and they came behind in no good gift. So you don't have to be a spiritual giant to operate in the gifts. 
God doesn't like carnality, but he knows we live in the flesh. And sometimes the flesh is going to rise up. It's going to cause us to say and do things that aren't very spiritual. And yet, he didn't hold that against them. They still operated mightily in the gifts of the Spirit and the endowments of the Spirit. So in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking to them about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the manifestations of the Spirit in, or the gifts of the Spirit in the believer's life. So he tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, he says there are diversities of gifts, different kinds of gifts. I mean, those are nine gifts of the Spirit, but the same Spirit, nine gifts, one Spirit. There are differences of ministries, many ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities or differences of activities, but it is, it is the same God who works all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us for the profit of all. Now, you know, it's, it's one thing to have the nine gifts of the Spirit in the church. We have them here. Uh, they were given to the church by Jesus Christ when he ascended to heaven. He gave gifts unto men. And, and that included the five-fold ministry. It included the different ministry gifts. And it included the nine gifts of the Spirit. But although they're here, we don't see the manifestations of those gifts. It doesn't make any difference if a gift is here if, it, if we don't see the manifestations of it. What is the product of the gift? Uh, you know, we have the gift of healing in here, but if we don't see the manifestation of it in somebody, especially ourselves, then there's no point in having the gift. We want the gifts of the Spirit in the church, but we want them operational. We want them manifesting themselves on a regular basis. Amen? So we pray not just for the gifts of the Spirit, but we pray for the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. So anyway, differences of gifts, differences of ministries, differences of activities, but the same Spirit, same Lord, same God. And then he uses the analogy of the human body as it compares to the church. And he tells us how the body is many parts, but it makes up one body. It's like a baseball team. You know, you got nine players on the field. There's a lot more players on the team, but it's, it's nine players, but one team. But we have many parts in the body, but one body. We have hands, fingers, toes, arms, legs, knees, chest, head, all of this stuff, but it's one body. And so he compares that to the church. And then he asks some rhetorical questions in verse 29 of chapter 12. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And of course, the answer to that rhetorical question is no. No one person has them all. And Paul ends chapter 12 uh, by saying, covet or desire earnestly the best gifts. Covet or desire earnestly the best gifts. So these gifts of the Spirit they need to be desired by us, or we're not going to be bothered by them. If we don't desire them, you're not going to see them operating. You're not going to see them manifesting themselves. Why? Because they're not going to force. The Holy Spirit's not going to force himself on you. You have to desire them. You have to have a, a, a wanting. You want to uh, have a, uh, 
demonstrate a need for these gifts to be operating. And then, uh, I don't know, I like to add this. We don't really know what the best gifts are. He doesn't tell us what the best gifts are. But one preacher says that the best gift is the one that you need the most at the time in the situation you're in. That makes the best gift. That could be, if you're sick, the best gift for you is to get to heal. Uh, if you need a word from God, the best gift for you is tongues and interpretation or a prophecy. So it depends on what your situation is, what the need is at the time, and that will determine what the best gift, gift there is for you. And uh, the best gift for me might be different than the best gift for you at different times. Amen? Hallelujah. But then he said in the final verse of the chapter, he says, uh, after talking about all these gifts of the Spirit and the ministry gifts and their manifestations and all the endowments of the Holy Spirit, because that's what chapter 12 is talking about, uh, he says, I show you a more excellent way. I mean, as wonderful as the gifts of the Spirit are, the ministries of the Spirit and the uh, endowments of the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul tells us here that there's something even more excellent, something greater than all of those things. And, and what could be more excellent? Keep that question in the back of your mind. I'm going to come back to it later and maybe even answer it today. But then in the next chapter, and this is what we want to get to, chapter 13, Paul opens the chapter, chapter 13, by showing us the superiority of love over all the things that he just taught us about in chapter 12, all the gifts of the Spirit, all the endowments, all the ministry gifts. And uh, I like to read this now in the Amplified, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, and it says, If I can speak in the tongues or the dialect or the languages of men and even of angels, but have not love that reasoning, intentional spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for and in us, I am only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if I speak in the tongues of or the dialect or the languages of men, which I do, I'm speaking to you in the dialect of a man, a known language to me and you, English. And then he says, and even of angels, but have not love, then I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. God's love for and in us, he said. So it's a demonstration of God's love for us or towards us, and also the same love that's in us. But how did we get that love in us? The love of God. Romans 5, 5 said the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When is he given? At the time of the new birth. At the time that you convert. I like to say at the time that you uh, confess, but not everybody's saved at the time they confess it. Sometimes people confess the Lord for different reasons, but they don't really get saved because they either don't believe it in their heart or what they're speaking out of their mouth is not what they believe. And so in order to get born again, you have to believe in your heart and speak it with your mouth. In other words, you're speaking 
from your mouth the thing that you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was crucified and died for you. He rose again on the third day. You have to believe that in your heart and speak it out of your mouth. And there's a lot of times that we speak things out of our mouth that we don't really believe in our heart. Think of the last argument you had with your spouse. Did you say something you didn't really mean or really didn't have in your heart? Or said something to your kids? Well, that's, that's human nature. That's what we do. But that's why we believe so much in confession. Because if you confess it long enough, you'll establish that belief in your heart. And so sometimes, just starting out, we might just confess something, but we don't really believe in it. You know, a husband and wife has power of a, in agreement with prayer. You know, Paul, uh, Jesus said, if any two on earth agree is touching anything that they ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Amen. So he's telling us there's power in agreement. And a lot of times you'll get with your spouse and you'll say, let's pray and agree with me. And she ain't no more agreeing with you than the man in the moon. Because she don't think you need a new boat. But she prays with you anyway because she don't want to hurt your feelings. There's no power in that prayer. Why? The agreement is broke. Often two walk together except they be agreed. And so uh, we lose the power of agreement. But if you're genuinely sincere and you're both believing the same thing and agreeing on the same thing, Jesus said, my Father in heaven will do it for you. I know some of you men are looking at your wife. I, I, now I know why I didn't get that boat. <laughs> but there, you know, there's, Paul talked about the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, and he talked about one in particular, the gift of tongues in chapter 12. And it's a gift that enhances and empowers a person's prayer life tremendously. I mean, I've always prayed, uh, you know, ever since I come into religion, I guess I say, as a Catholic, I always prayed. I prayed my Our Fathers, my Hail Marys, my uh, Confess the Act of Contrition, the Apostles' Creed. I always did that, but I was never satisfied. I never felt like I really got through to heaven. I never felt like I really prayed through. And then when I got introduced to the charismatic movement or the word of faith movement and uh, you know as you know we believe in the gifts of the spirit speaking in tongues we believe in healing we believe in prosperity we believe in gifts and the interpretation of tongues and uh, ever since I got into that and got filled with the spirit began to speak in other tongues and I started using that in my prayer uh, I would pray in my understanding or the things that I knew in my language, my native language, and then I would pray with the spirit or in my spiritual, my heavenly language, I would pray in tongues. And it was through that experience of praying in tongues that I finally felt the satisfaction of having reached heaven. I felt like I had prayed through where I never felt that before. And I knew that I was praying things to God that even though I didn't understand, I knew from the teaching of the word it was coming from my spirit, coming from my heart, and I was praying my heart to God. And that was the first time I was ever satisfied. I would pray in my understanding until I reached a point where I didn't know what else to pray for, and then I would start praying in my heavenly language. And that's when I felt like I had the breakthrough. 
I felt like I accomplished something in prayer. But anyway, that's why he started out in verse 1. If I can speak in the tongues or the dialect or languages of men and even angels, but have not love, then I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Well, I don't want to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want to have some purpose and I want to have some accomplishment when I pray or when I speak in tongues. But it's a gift that enhances and empowers a person's prayer life tremendously. And there's not words in any language that can describe the deep personal communion that we can enjoy with God and in a fervent prayer life and what it produces. There's no words to describe this type of communication. No words to describe the deepest expressions of our praise and our worship and our thanksgiving. But you can express that when you're praying in the spirit or praying in tongues. And the gift of tongues is a powerful asset because you can speak to the Lord. Only to the Lord. He's the only one that understands that unless there's an interpreter. But it's a heavenly language that supersedes and ex expresses things to God in the spirit that no language on earth could ever express. You know, we talked about last week how the Greek language is a more perfect language than the English language. And that, you know, uh, I love fried chicken and I love my wife and, you know, but which one do you love more? And how can I tell which one you love more? Because we only have one word for love. But the Greek has four, actually more than that, but four primary words for love. And I can pick one of those to express the fact that I love my wife more than I love fried chicken. Because there's a word for it. So it's, uh, it's an imperfect language that we really can't express everything that we need to express. The Apostle Paul went to the third heaven, and when he returned, he said that I've seen things and had things uttered to me that I can't even speak of. You know, it wasn't that it was a secret that he wasn't supposed to speak. It was the fact that he didn't have words for what he saw and what he heard in heaven. Why? Language limits us. There's limitations with language. But with the heavenly language, the kind of language that we could even speak, the language of angels, there's no limitations. Because whatever's in your heart, you can express it without having to pick and choose what intensity of love am I talking about. Because God already knows because he knows what's in your heart and what's coming out of your heart. But the Apostle Paul, in the next chapter, he says, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So when I speak in tongues, I speak to God. He said, We speak mysteries. In other words, things that we don't know. Not things he doesn't know. He knows all things. But we speak mysteries, Paul said. And he also said, When we pray in tongues, our spirit prays. So it's coming from our heart. It's coming from our spirit. And he finished by saying, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. So when we pray in tongues, we're speaking to God. And although we don't understand what we're saying, God does. And Paul teaches us that we're not only praying mysteries to God, but we also praise him and worship him and bring glory to him 
when we speak in tongues and we speak divine secrets. Paul said, if I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, in other words, I can speak in my native tongue, a language that I know, and I can speak the language of angels, a language that I don't really know or understand. But apparently God and the angels understand this language. And tongues is a gift that we've been given whereby we can speak to God in a language that we never had to learn. You know, on the, on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or the ability to speak. So this is a language you don't learn. You can't be taught how to speak in tongues. It's a spiritual endowment. It's sent from heaven, and the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to speak in tongues. He gives you the ability to uh, speak divine secrets and mysteries to God when you pray in this language. Uh, I never learned how to pray in tongues. When I first got filled with the Spirit and began to talk and speak in other tongues, it was like a baby. You know, goo goo gaga. I didn't have a fluent tongue or prayer language. But uh, the more you exercise and the more you pray, the more it comes to you. And it's just the Holy Spirit feeding you, teaching you this heavenly language in your spirit. And so you just begin to pray and speak by faith. But tongues, again, is a gift. It's something that was given to us from God. It's something from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it has a heavenly origin. And so I don't know what the language we will speak when we get to heaven. I don't know what dialect we'll speak when we get to heaven. But I have a strong suspicion it's going to be tongues. Because in, on the day of Pentecost, it said that uh, uh, although they were all the same people, they were speaking in one language, which is tongues, but everybody heard them in their own dialect or their own languages. So it wasn't like they were 120 people speaking 120 different languages. They were all speaking one language, the spirit language, the language that came from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And all the people that were there, although they were from all over the known world in different languages and different dialects, they all heard in their own native language. And so it doesn't make any difference who you're talking to. They will be able to understand what you're saying. And I think that's how it's going to be in heaven because he said it's the language of angels. I can speak the language or the dialect of angels. So apparently angels are speaking the same language or dialect that we're speaking down here. Just a theory. I can't prove it one way or the other. But you have to understand there's going to be billions in heaven from every walk of life, and we can't possibly be unified and be one without being able to speak the same language. You remember on the day of, or when uh, they were trying to build the Tower of Babel and God came down, he confounded their language, and, and they all, because they couldn't communicate any longer, they all went their separate ways. The Italians went this way, and the Germans went that way, and the Greeks went this way, and uh, why? Because they stayed with the people that spoke the same language. So we have to have one language. 
one spirit, one Lord, one God, one language, one body. Paul speaks about all of that through chapter 12 and 14. And so when we get to heaven, there's got to be a heavenly language. There's got to be one dialect that we all speak. Maybe it'll be in tongues. Maybe God will teach us a new language when we get there. I don't know. But we have to be able to communicate. Now, if I had to guess, I'd say we'd be speaking Italian. But I can't say for sure. Uh, Paul said we can speak in the tongues of angels. So that's why I think it's possible we can speak that in heaven. But Paul said even if we speak in this exotic language from heaven, but we have not love, then we're no more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me just say this, and then we're going to move on. You know, you would have to be a tongue-talking, spirit-filled believer to even begin to understand the things that I've just been saying. We might have an idea, but unless you've been there, done that, you'll have a hard time understanding all the things I said. Because like I said, it's something we can't be taught. This is something that has to be caught, as somebody once said. But in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, it talks about love. And it gives us some of the characteristics of love. I'd like to say it defines love, for lack of better words, but I don't really think it defines love. I think it tells us what love is and what love does and the characteristics of love more than it does define. But I may use the word define just to make it simple. But uh, in Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to read here in a minute, we have, let's say, the defining word of love, which is agape. That's the highest form of love. That's uh, anytime you see love in the Bible that relates to God, it's going to be talking about agape love, the God kind of love, the kind of love that sacrifices and gives, the kind of love that will actually give its life for you. That's the type of love that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13 and in Galatians 5, 22 through 24, 23. It's the highest form of love the love that God has for us and the love that we should have for one another. And it's described in the new commandment that Jesus gave us. When Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, he's using the word agape. And in Galatians 5, 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit, the thing that the spirit produces is love. First of all is love. And that word love is translated from the Greek word agape. And then he defines what it is or tells us the characteristics of a godly love. He said it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering, it's gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And then he says against such there is no law. So in other words, if these characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, is operating in your life all the time, then there is no law. You can't break the law because you're fulfilling it through your love walk. He said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, now I'm going to go back to the Amplified for clarity. 
He said, if I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for and in us, I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he says, and if I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, and understand all the secret truths and mysteries, and possess all knowledge, and if I have sufficient faith, now these are all wonderful endowments of the Spirit, powerful endowments of the Spirit. And he says, and if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, agape, God's love in me, I am nothing, a useless nobody. You can have all these gifts operating in your life all the special endowments, all the supernatural gifts, and have all knowledge, and have the type of faith that can move mountains, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. You are a useless nobody. That's pretty powerful words, isn't it? So I could operate in all these supernatural spiritual gifts and endowments that he talked about in chapter 12, uh, interpret the divine will and purpose of God, be able to understand the secret truths and possess all knowledge, have all of revelation, everything I need to know, and yet if I don't do it with love, I'm nothing, a useless nobody. And in addition to these powerful supernatural gifts and, and uh, endowments, I could even have enough faith to move mountains from their, from their foundations or from their place, but if I don't do it with love, if I'm not walking in love, I'm useless. A, a nobody and nothing. I know those are strong words, but that's what the Apostle Paul used or given to him by the Holy Spirit, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 3 says, Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and, I, and if I surrender my body to be burned, or in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, agape love, I gain nothing. You could give it all. You could give your last penny to the poor. And you could even give your body, surrender your body over to be burned. And what Paul was referring to back in those days under the Roman rule, they would literally put a Christian on a stake or a pole and then line the streets of Rome with them, light them on fire at night, and light the streets of Rome with Christian bodies burning in the streets. And Paul said, if I could give it all, surrender my body to be burned and become a martyr for Christ, but if I didn't have love, God's love in me, or I didn't do it because of the love of God, I gained nothing. God doesn't credit you. It doesn't matter what you gain down here. It doesn't matter what accolades you get, who pats you on the back, or who says, a boy, you did a good job, I'll reward you down here. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, even with your giving. You could give a million dollars to the church, but if you didn't give it out of love, God doesn't even credit it to your account. I'll thank you for it, and I'll pay bills with it, and, and be happy. I'll build another building with it. I'll do all kinds of things with it, but you won't get credit for it in heaven. That's where it counts. That's where we're to lay our treasures up. And anything you do out of, uh, that's not done in love, even if you give all that you have, he said, you gain nothing. It's, love is important. 
He said, having love, agape love, the God kind of love, is more important than all of the things that he talked about in, in chapter 12. And then he begins in verse 4 to describe the characteristics uh, or the kind of love that he's talking about. I, again, I don't want to say the word define because I think what he's telling us is what love does more than he is defining it. And he's telling us the characteristics of love. In other words, if you have if you, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, which you do, he came in to dwell in you at the new birth, then you should have this kind of love in you because he brought it with him and he shed it abroad in your heart. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, I'm going to expound on some of the points, but we could spend months on this and not exhaust it. In the King James, he uses the word charity. And that's because of the way that it was translated from the Latin Vulgate and then translated into the Greek and then translated from the Greek into our language. They use the word charity, but it's not like the type of charity we think of now, somebody getting a handout or somebody panhandling or giving to the poor or something like that. This type of charity has to do strictly with giving. So he's saying, Giving, this giving kind of love, when he says charity, this giving kind of love is what he's talking about. He's not talking about giving something to the Salvation Army. We lost that meaning down through the years, but King James translated it charity, where everybody else translated it love, agape love. And that's why I like to use the King James and the Amplified. But he says charity, agape, Love suffers long and is kind. Even when it's suffering long, it's kind. Charity or love, agape love, envies not. Agape love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. So it's long-suffering, patient, and kind. It's one thing to be patient. It's another thing to be kind or show that you're not pleased with having to be patient. You're not happy with being, uh, with waiting. You know, you're in the doctor's office and you can see as the doctor's running behind the looks on people's faces, they're not happy. They're being patient because they have to be, but don't bother them because they're not gonna be kind. And so he says love is patient and kind. Uh, it takes and takes and takes without losing patience. That's hard to do. I mean, everybody has their limit. But it remains kind through the whole process. That's a big, big deal here. That's why it was mentioned in the same sentence. Peter asked the Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times, Lord? Because he could count up to seven. And the Lord says, no, Peter, seven times 70, 490 times. And so the Lord, I don't know, he's probably thinking, well, Peter will lose count before he ever reached 490, and he'd have to start over. But true forgiveness, if you forgive him the first time, you wipe out all the other times you forgive him. You can't count to 490 because if you truly forgive him, you just wiped out the last thing you forgave him for or the last thing you had against him. So 
uh, no matter how many times he offends you and you forgive him, you go back to ground zero. You keep going back to zero. You'll never reach 490 if you're walking in true forgiveness. And you never get to the end of that proverbial rope. You know, you hear people say, I'm at the end of my rope. That rope's about three <laughs> It's about three seconds long, at least it was with me. Because I tell my kids, when I count, when I get to three, you better be whatever, you know. So my rope was three feet or three three seconds long. And how many times you know, I'm gonna give you to the count of three to straighten up? Or else, you know, the belt's coming off or you know, whatever. But love isn't like that. Love is patient. It has a long rope. You never reach the end of your rope. He said it's never envious or jealous. It never boasts. Doesn't brag about itself. Isn't haughty. See, love doesn't puff up. It builds up. And then in verse 5, he says, Agape, love, doth not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't act weird. It's not rude. It seeketh not her own ways, doesn't manipulate, I'm adding a few things here, but it doesn't manipulate others. In other words, if you really love me, you'll do what I want you to do. Real love doesn't do that. It's not easily provoked, but you know what I learned is that easily is not in any other original transcript, the King James uh, translators added that because they you know it's a lot easier to not be easily provoked because I ain't easily provoked but I, yeah, I sooner or later I'm going to reach my limits you know and, but no it actually says it's not provoked period not easily is, is not easily is not in there so we can't even be provoked into not walking in love and then it says uh Thinketh no evil. That means think evil. I'll get even with you. You just wait. I'm going to do such and such and so and so. No, it doesn't even think like that. And it's not looking for any ulterior motive or hidden meaning. And people have ulterior motives and hidden meanings. I've actually said to someone, Hey, brother, how you doing? And he turned around like a whip and says, why do you want to know? I kept waiting for him to break out in a smile or a laugh, say he's just kidding. Never did. You know, why do you care about me? What am I to you? I just want to know how you're doing, man. I just say, hello, how you doing? You know, that's all. And he, he was being... You know, pretty accurate because most people say, hey, how you doing? They don't care. It's just an expression that we got used to doing. It's like saying, uh, running into an old friend and saying, hey, we got to get together sometime. But then when you get a phone call a couple days later and they say, hey, you ready to get together? Let's meet over at so-and-so. You're like, man, I never wanted to get with you. Why'd you say it then? Love isn't like that. <laughs> it's the truth agape love rejoiceth 
not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. You're driving down the road, you're doing the speed limit, and someone is tailgating you. You can tell they're impatient. They keep moving out, moving back in, moving out, moving in. They're right on your tail. Finally, he gets a break, and he goes around you, and he's speeding. And on his way around you, you glance over to see what kind of jerk he is, and he uh, makes a gesture that tells you you're number one. And he goes about his business. A little while later, you pass him on the side of the road with the state trooper standing at his window. How do you feel? Love don't feel that way. <laughs> Love don't feel that way. Hallelujah. <laughs> Love rejoices not in iniquity. <laughs> Love doesn't get even, but rejoices in truth. Then he says in verse 7, Agape love beareth all things, believeth all things, or tries to believe all things that are good, or tries to believe the best about everybody instead of the worst. You know, human nature has a tendency to believe the worst about everybody. We don't want them, we don't want to believe them. Uh, even when they're telling the truth, we're like, ain't no way he did that, ain't no way, you know, he's lying. But it's telling us here that love will really give him a chance, will believe in what he's saying. Hopeth all things, endures all things. In other words, you can't weary it out, you can't wear it out, you can't uh, tire it out. Love always endures and bears all things. And then in verse 8, he says, Charity, agape, love never fails, never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. All those things he talked about in 12, all the spiritual endowments and everything. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. All these things are going to vanish away. And I'll tell you when here in a minute. But let's look at the Amplified Translation of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 now. And let's apply it to us. Now, I use the King James because that was what I would cut my teeth on, I was raised on, I know it the best. But if I want to really get into this love thing and understand it, I'd use the Amplified Classified Edition, this AMP with a C at the end of it. Uh, it gives us the best understanding of it. But let's use this and apply it to us to see how we're doing in our love walk. Substitute the word love with your name and see how you're doing. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 3, and Amplified, Mike Brunzo endures. Mike Brunzo Sr. endures long and is patient and kind. He's never envious or boils over with jealousy. He's never boastful or vainglorious, does not display himself haughtily. Verse 5, Mike Prenzel is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. He is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Mike Prenzel does not insist on his own rights or his own way. For he is not self-seeking. He is not touchy or fretful or resentful. He takes no account of the evil done to him. He pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Somebody does me wrong, I don't even pay attention to it. 
Mike Brunzo does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. He bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. His hopes are faithless under all circumstances, and he endures everything without weakening. That Mike Brunzo is quite a guy. I wish Pastor Ed was in here right now because verse 8 says, Mike Brunzo never fails. <laughs> never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Put your name in there and see what it says. Now let me read it in the King James. Verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Charity, agape, never fails. Mike Brunzo never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. All those spiritual endowments, like I said, they're going to vanish away someday. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Even when we prophesy, even when we're given knowledge, it's only given in part. But when that which is perfect is come, this is when these things that I was talking about are going to vanish away. All the spiritual endowments and gifts and ministry gifts that were mentioned in chapter 12, they're going to vanish away. When that which is perfect, Jesus Christ, is come. When Jesus comes, then that which is in part, all those things that we just got in fragments, will be done away with. Why? There'll be no need for them when Jesus is here. I won't need a prophecy. I have prophecy standing before me. I won't need tongues and interpretation because I'm going to understand all things. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part should be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We're not going to be looking through obscurity or a dark glass where we can't see everything clearly. We're going to be standing face to face with Jesus and we're going to understand everything and see everything clearly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So we're like children in spiritual understanding. But when he comes, and he is coming again. We can't see clearly. We look at everything through that dark glass, but when we see him face to face, everything will be complete. There'll be no more mysteries. There'll be no more not being able to understand uh, the things that we haven't understood before. We'll have unlimited revelation because he's here. We're face to face with him. But after these things are done away with, all the spiritual endowments, all the gifts and all of that stuff, uh, the speaking in tongues and everything, he says, three things will remain. These three things will remain forever. They will never vanish away. They will never be done away with. And he says, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity, or agape, love, these three will remain, but the greatest of these is love, agape love. See, without faith, 
without the word or faith in the word of God and faith in the promises of God, we don't accomplish anything in this life. And hope, the hope that we have in our hearts of a heavenly kingdom of living in the presence of the Lord, that remains. We'll always have hope. And then love, agape love. The love that's been shed abroad in our heart hearts. He said, these things will abide. They will remain forever. So we need to get this love walk down path because we're going to be walking in love forever. And when it seems like we've come to the end of chapter 13, because that was the last verse, but we really haven't because chapter 13 actually ends in the first part of chapter 14. I don't know why they divided it like that, but they did. Uh, chapter 13 actually ends with the first part of verse 1 in chapter 14. So we're going to read that, and then I'm getting ready to close. 1 Corinthians 14, 1a, the first part of it, it says, after all these things he said in chapter 13, he says, follow after agape love. Follow after agape love. And this is what it all boils down to. This is the new commandment that Jesus gave us. Follow after agape love. Because, you know, we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to love our enemies. Uh, we're supposed to love everyone that's around us because that's what our neighbor is. Uh, and he says, so follow after that type of love. In other words, he's saying nothing is more important than all the things, all the spiritual endowments and everything he talked about in 12 and even in chapter 14, which we didn't really get into, but all those spiritual things are spirituals, as King James says, are not nearly as important as our love walk. They're going to vanish away someday, but this love walk is never going to vanish. And you remember the question I told you to keep in the back of your mind and about what is the more excellent way? This is the more excellent way. Of all those things, I show you a more excellent way that you walk in love. So how well are you obeying the new commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, how are we doing on that? Are you loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Really, all your heart, soul, and mind. That means he gets it all. Everything is second, secondary to him. He gets it all. Are you walking in love with your neighbor? And I'm not talking about the guy who lives next door to you. I'm talking about those that are nearby. Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? And we talked about that last week. We know how much you love yourself. And then how about your enemies? Do you love your enemies? Last week I said that don't mean you have to live next door to them. It just means that you have to love them, that you have to be like the good Samaritan. If you see your enemy laying on the street or you see your enemy has a need, you should lay your life down and help him. Help him with his need. Give of yourself. Amen? Would you feed him if he's hungry? Would you give him a drink if he's thirsty? If you're anything like me, especially when I read it with my name in it, 
and realize I need some work in this area. Don't you? Am I the only one in here that needs a little work with that love walk? Uh-uh. We got the same flesh, the same desires. And if I have to work on mine, you have to work on yours. Because misery loves company. No, it's not misery to walk in love. Sometimes it's challenging, sometimes it's hard, but God wouldn't tell us to do something. He wouldn't command us to do something that we weren't able to do. So quit telling yourself that lie that you've told for 20 years. I just can't I just can't forget what they did to me. I love them, but I just can't forgive them. No, that's a lie. You can forgive them. And if you don't forgive them, you really don't love them. Amen. So I want to close by saying this. I'm quitting a little early. This is going to be the norm in the future. I finally come to the realization I ain't good enough for you to sit there and listen to for an hour and 15 minutes. So I'm going to cut it down to 45. <laughs> and when I get better, then maybe I'll go a little bit long. But until then, I'm going to try to keep it at 45 minutes. When I worked for UPS and we would sit in these meetings, and I mean, we had some long meetings. They last all day. And uh, I got to think of a way to say this nicely, but they said that uh, there's a nerve that run <laughs> runs from your mind down to your backside. And... Uh, I guess it boils down to this, that your mind can only endure as much as your backside can endure. <laughs> so in other words, you can't sit there for hours and hours, your mind checks out, you know? And so it's the same thing with preaching. There's only so much you can endure, and then your mind checks out. So I wanna try to get finished before that happens and your mind checks out. But I wanna pray for the sick this morning not only in our church, but all those out in Facebook land and social media land, Spotify and YouTube and everything like that. Uh, there's a lot of sickness going around. It's not as bad as it used to be with the COVID. I mean, it's, it's not as, the symptoms ain't as strong as they were with COVID and what they were with the Delta, but their symptoms nonetheless, and people are sick with them, and it's still interrupting people's lives. It's keeping them from going to work. It's quarantining them and stuff like that. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've had enough of it. And I don't care if it's COVID, I don't care if it's Delta, I don't care if it's the common cold, I don't care if it's the flu. I had enough of it. And I think most people feel that way. So we're just gonna pray for the sick. So let's all stand up. Probably get off that nerve. And uh, let's just look towards heaven for our help, because that's where it comes from. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we give you glory and honor. And we thank you, Father, for the teaching we got today in the last couple of weeks on the love walk. I don't know if I'm finished with it yet or not. I'll let you tell me this week, but. It's been a great teaching. I think that we've learned a lot of things about walking in love. I think we learned some things about the heart of God and the characteristics of the love walk. And we thank you and praise you, Father, that you've uh, given us the ability to walk in love towards our brothers and sisters. And 
You even shed that love in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So we know it's in there, Lord, and we know that we need to work at it and get better at it and start walking in love like we've never walked in love before because that is the primary thing. Even our faith doesn't work except by love. I don't think anything in the kingdom of God will work properly without love. So thank you for the teaching on love, Lord. We take it to heart. We pray that we can have what it takes to walk in it, even towards our enemies. And God, that we can forgive those that have offended us. That being said, Lord, I lift up every sick person within the sound of my voice. I don't care what they have, if it's COVID, Delta, uh, Omicron, common cold, flu, uh, achy back, a bum knee. I, uh, I don't care what it is, Lord. We just lift them all up before you. And God, we know that you have never turned down one that has come to you. And so we come to you, Lord. And the word, the word says that you healed them all. All that came to you, you healed. And Lord, we know that you're the Lord our God. You changed not. You're Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we come to you today, Lord, we know that you will still heal us all. So Lord, I lift them all up before you today. God, I ask you to touch each and every one right where they're at, in their homes, in the hospitals, wherever they're at, Lord. I pray that you touch them right now in the name of Jesus and heal them from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. We know that you took those stripes on your back for our healing, and you didn't do it for naught, Lord. We're going to take full advantage of that, and we thank you for it in advance. Lord, I especially lift up my brother Jim. God, he's fighting. He's fighting in that hospital room, Lord. And I know he's not alone. But God, I ask you to touch him, comfort him, give him peace, Lord. Help him overcome this thing that's attacked his body, Lord. Heal him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Drive that sickness and disease out in the name of Jesus. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus upon my brother for protection. God, I ask you to minister to his family, his wife, Diane, his son, Brian, his daughter, Tina, his grandkids, Lord. All those on the sidelines that are rooting for him, Lord, I ask that you minister to them as well. Give them special faith, Lord. Give them strength. Give them courage to stand. And above all, give them that peace that passes all understanding, Lord. And touch their hearts and minds. God, you being the Lord of all comfort, the God of all comfort, comfort them. And this time, Lord, as my brother is being healed, and we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. We love you and appreciate it. They may not be done in the back yet because I'm a few minutes early, but uh, hopefully they'll be done here in a minute. We will see you Wednesday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.